Take a deep breath, take the higher road That's what they always say, as if they know the way They won't take it from me But don't ever doubt yourself, it's life ain't just a dream You make your own, so kick and scream The people will like with a never-ending force You never had the chance, so what you waiting for? The day has come, my friend, cause this is war Welcome to Nurses Out Loud Talk Radio with Nurse Michelle, your Friday host. As you may have noticed, we are changing things up as we go into the new year. Nurse Jody's now on Monday and Kimberly is on Wednesday and I'm on Friday and we have a nurse Q&A on Tuesdays. So be sure to send in any questions you have from any of our shows to nurses at americaoutloud.com. And on Thursdays, the show is going to be a nurse news analysis, and we'll be talking about news that's going on in mainstream media Media. that you can be guaranteed you're probably only here here on America Out Loud. Uh, Today is a perfect example of a topic I'm going to bring to you that is unique that you will not hear in mainstream media. And it's something that's very close and personal for Nurse Michelle. And it is something that I knew all along I was wanting to bring to this audience but we're coming up on our one year anniversary here in December of 2023. And I wanted to bring a passion before you that I know affects all of your lives, whether you know it or not. And the guest that I'm going to have with me today, his name is Jeff Crippen. He lives in Oregon. He's been living in Oregon since 1993. And um, he's been a pastor for over 40 years. And before he was a pastor, he was a police officer for about 14 years. And that actually is uh, quite a significant, important thing about who he has to end up becoming later in his life. And he went to Bible college and grad school and then seminary. But today I'm going to be bringing a topic to you that will shock you and hopefully awaken you of what's happening in your community and likely in your church and it may be hard to hear that, but um, we're going to help you recognize it and what help you know how you can do something to change um, the presence of uh, evil that's in your presence. Um, Jeff's first wake up call to abuse was back in 2008 in his um, pastoral ministry when a person in his church, one of the elder's sons, a teenage boy, actually uh, abused a five year old uh, child, a little girl. And um, that particular situation forced him into the topic of having to deal with uh, abusers and sexual offenders. And there's pastors in all over this country. And some of you may be out here in the audience and you know that you have possibly had to deal with this. And if you haven't yet, you will, because we are living in a fallen world that is only getting more and more corrupt. So you're going to face this and we're going to hear how this wake-up call for him had to drive him into the book world to try and find where is there some good writings to know how a pastor can deal with this biblically. And it was definitely something wanting out there in the published works. But he has solved that problem because he has uh, four published books on the topic that we're going to address today and we're going to bring before you as well. And I will say to you before I introduce him, is that what you all don't know, some of you do know, I have six children, but my oldest daughter uh, in 2009, 
she did marry a physician who was just out of med school and he was the pastor's son in the very conservative denomination that I was in. And he was very well respected among his peers and the top of his class, basically in everything he ever accomplished. And he was a very accomplished young man that, you know, would shine to most people and most mothers and laws to be would be like, oh, this is a great guy for my daughter. Now, I would tell you at that time, I can look back now and say there were some red flags, but I hadn't read the book that hadn't been published yet that says something to the effect of how to know if your daughter's dating a narcissist or a potential future abuser. So um, I hadn't read that book, so I didn't know what it is, but I could write the book now. Um, But anyways, eight years, his junior, she married him at a young age at 19 years old. And they had only dated about nine months when he proposed and married her. um, And and they were married by one year after their first date. But long story short, um, he ended up becoming an abuse, a domestic abuser and utterly destroyed my daughter. And that was a major wake up call for me that there is something like that that can happen to you. And there may be mothers out there who this has happened to you, but nothing could have prepared me for what would come that was even worse. Yes, even worse. And that would be the way that a church that we had loved and served in would respond to my daughter's testimony of what happened in that marriage. And we would become, she would become, and we would become among what is called the church hurt. Um, because the church actually did, I would say, more damage to my daughter than even the man did to her. And he did plenty of damage. And the reason why that is, is because the church is supposed to represent um, where you're supposed to come for comfort and knowledge and, and help and hope. And instead, what happened was church court and prosecution of a girl who was seeking a divorce for something other than adultery. Yes, there that does still exist. You, if you don't think it exists in your church, there's a good chance you're wrong about that. So before I take the steam away from what all Pastor Crippen has to say, I first want to say welcome to Pastor Crippen. And I'd love for you to start by telling us a little something about, you know, how your eyes were opened and, you know, about evil existing in the church and how how can we identify evil in the church? Well, thank you, Michelle. Well, the first thing we have to do is admit that there is such a thing as evil. Um, so much of the even supposed Bible-believing evangelical churches today uh, simply stop at God loves everybody, and that that kind of a, a shallow, and that's not true, by the way, but, um, but that's the superficiality that causes so much uh, harm. We have to face up to an unpleasant subject, and that is a subject of evil. But of all people in the world, Christians ought to know we don't have an excuse because we have God's word that we claim to believe. And it has a whole lot to say then about evil. So um, in all of my preparation for the ministry, um, I was never taught about the practicalities of evil and how it creeps into the church and so forth about all that i was taught growing up in a church and also in bible college and seminary is that okay you're going to run into difficult people and i would challenge you to think about that term difficult people because it doesn't make any sense what what is what is a difficult a difficult person we can all be difficult sometimes to to deal with but what is a difficult but 
person. Well, um, but there are evil people. And the Bible tells us this over and over again, and that we're to be on on guard. So my first, uh, oh, say, 20 years or so of ministry, uh, I was dealing with evil, but didn't really understand that clearly that that's what it was until, as uh, Michelle mentioned, in uh, 2008, we had this this uh, really unpleasant and evil situation happen in our church with a, a teenage boy molesting a, a five-year-old girl. And and um, after all of that played itself out, and, and uh, uh, I decided I need to get a handle on this thing. There's got to be somebody that wrote something about this. Um, specifically about uh, let's let's say um, a sexual abuser or something in, in the church and how you can spot them ahead of time and and so I started looking around didn't find anything in the Christian realm uh, that would really apply I did find one book pretty big book for therapists uh, by Scott Allen Johnson um, on uh, physical abusers and and sexual abusers and so i started reading that and i only got a few pages into it and that that was really my enlightenment moment of wait a minute what he's describing in detail the people that he is describing describes perfectly myriads of people so-called christian professing christians that i had had to deal with that i had had trouble with all kinds of grief with over over the years and so that's how i woke up to the problem i kept i kept reading about it after i was done with his book i told our elders i said i need to preach a sermon series on this subject and wise everybody up in the church about it one elder at the time threw a fit that i was going to do that <laughs> but the other two said go ahead and to their credit and i did and i preached 22 sermons i think they're somewhere they're still available i think uh, on one of my blogs we have a resource page but then ultimately that sermon series uh, turned into my first book so now unholy charade exposing the the evil of a domestic abuse in the church exposing that abuser and so anyway, that's how I, that's how, in a nutshell, that's how that all developed. And now here I am, uh, 13, 14 years later, still blogging and, and, and so on, uh, as people write to me and, and I write articles and, on this subject. Yeah, that brings me to how I came to discover him, because when my church at the time responded so horribly, shockingly horribly, to my daughter leaving her husband, the uh, pr the preacher's son, um, I was not prepared for it. Like you said, there was just nothing that could have prepared me for that. And I remember when they started responding to her so terribly that I said to the pastor who was a friend for 20 years, I don't know where you're wrong in the word of God on what you're doing here, but I do know you're wrong. My conscience tells me you're wrong. And just like what, you know, Nurses Out Loud talks about on a regular basis here is that we want you to pay attention to your conscience, 
you know, the Holy Spirit does speak to us through our conscience. And that if your gut is telling you something's wrong with a situation, or if you feel uncomfortable in a situation, or if somebody makes you uncomfortable, it's probably your spirit and the Holy Spirit having a conversation about knowing something that you don't know that there's evil in your presence. And a wolf in sheep's clothing is going to look like a sheep. That's the point as a sheep. And you're a she- you think you're a sheep, you're a follower of Jesus and you're religious. Let's say you think you're a good person. If you think you're t- sitting there talking to another church person, you think I'm talking to another good person. But the point that Pastor Crippen is drawing out is that wolves in sheep's clothing are among us. And we need to be able to know how to unzip that wolf cl- mask so that we can unmask them and find out what it is. And he was only told as a pastor that he's going to run into difficult people. Well, um, among those difficult people uh, is not going to be just moody women out in the audience or that um, very stern man that's overly opinionated about a vote about whether or not to pay the parking lot or not. We're talking about people that will reveal themselves possibly in the parking lot paving decision or other decisions. And what you may find out later is his wife reports what he's actually like at home with the children and him and her. And when those women come and report to the pastor, my husband is beating me or abusing me. Then the pastor is in a situation where he's got to deal with um, what to deal with two members of his church, the man and the woman. And this came down to um, a situation where I now say, how do you find a safe church? And uh, Pastor Crippen had so many wise words on this. And I found his blog that was teaching me things that there are actually things that uh, that you can find out if your church practices regarding uh, abused women, that if they handle it a certain way, and we're going to let him tell you that, it's a pretty good red flag that you have a problem, Houston. And why don't you tell us what one of those are about how they exercise control in that situation? You know, I'd say one of the chief red flags that would tell you that you're not in a safe church. Now, now this would be for anybody. This isn't just uh, for the abuse, abused wife, for example. Um, But this would be for anybody that's looking for a church. I mean, we all want to be in a safe, healthy, non-toxic church, right? A real, a real church. And so, uh, but one of the things that uh, is a real telling uh, characteristic in this, in this regard, is that how much control, see, abuse that we're talking about is all about power and control, power and control. So when we say, um, what is a safe church? Well, a safe church is a, is a place that's non-abusive. It's a place where the leadership isn't there for the purposes of obtaining and maintaining power and control. That That's not what this is about. Um, that's not what a safe church is. Um, and so when you see, for example, and I think this is one of the leading things that you would spot, when you see a church, the church leadership, for example, um, insisting that when a wife, for example, let's say most, you know, most abuse victims are women, although there are women who are abusers too, but, uh, but let's say a, a woman who's an abuse victim comes to her pastor and asks for help. And generally what she's going to do initially is kind of test the waters, not just tell him everything right up front, what's going on, but it's going to see 
all right, how's this guy going to respond and so on. But they, they go to the pastor for help. And, uh, okay, so how's the pastor going to respond? Now, here's the thing. Sometimes it can be very condemning right off the bat and and, and so forth, and, and that might be a little bit easier to see. But, but what can often happen is, they can, oh, we're here to help you. Absolutely. We'll, we'll look into this and, uh, um, and, and, and we want, we want to assist you in this. Now, here's what we would recommend. You know, we have counseling available and, uh, maybe you and your husband need counseling. That's a second red flag. And you, you don't use counseling, couples counseling for abuse scenarios. But but maybe you, you, you come and here you talk to this lady that's the head of our women's ministry and she can give you some counseling. And we really want you to do that. We really want now see they're not saying we insist you do it, but that's really what they're saying. And then and then what will happen is this thing proceeds if the if the victim determines that she is going to have to get out of this marriage. This is not a healthy marriage for her protection, for the kids' protection. Um, she's going to need to separate or divorce. Then what happens in an unsafe church is the for all their talk of wanting to help, the pastor and the leadership will say, well, now, now hold on a minute here now. We'll talk to your husband and you, we've talked to you, we will analyze and diagnose the situation. And uh, you're not to go see a lawyer, you're not to go file for divorce, you're not to separate until we render a verdict. And then you are required to go to uh, abide by our verdict. When you see that, you're seeing an abuse of power and control. The Bible nowhere gives uh, pastors that kind. It doesn't tell us that that we have to have our church's permission before we can separate from evil. God's words, it, it, it's the old, we must obey God rather than man. That That's the scenario here. So when you see that, when you see church leadership um, doing this, happens all the time, trying to exercise that power that control we, we will you have to have our permission and i can't tell you how many uh abuse victims who have gone ahead anyway and separated or divorced or even made an appointment with an attorney they've actually been excommunicated yeah. and from the church and guess what happens to the abuser yeah he he can even be a deacon in the church and he'll still be able to remain in, in that office and and he'll be he'll be regarded and treated kind of like the victim, you see. So that's the number one thing is um, if they are trying to exercise that kind of control, they're trespassers into your personhood. That's that's like a big boundary violation when when they do that and that's not a healthy a healthy place to be you know what you know what church excommunication is it is and there's a place for it for where there's genuine evil unrepentant sin like the abusive 
spouse. But uh, what it is, is it is the church before God agreeing together before God that this wicked person is in unrepentant sin and is to be put out of the church and considered anathema under God's curse. So that's what these churches, they, they do is they, they pronounce a victim cursed by God. Now, yeah. now that's going to mess you up. Yeah. So. Yeah. When you're talking about women who have already been in a, a trauma situation or children, let's say they're in a trauma situation, children having to come and testify that their own father may have uh, is beating them or is, you know, over, uh, you know, trying to find out the fine line between a, a beating abusive behavior versus I'm just getting uh, discipline. I don't like, right. That's where a pastor finds himself in those situations. And then sadly, why in the world, any woman could ever come to her pastor and say, my husband is abusing me. And the first judgment would be, I need to find out if this is really abuse or not, because it's so otherworldly to even think that a woman who married a man she loved that believed he loved her and who vowed before God and man that he was going to love, provide, have shelter, make children with and keep safe and secure. That Why would a woman ever have a reason to say even a statement like that? It should be like the biggest red flag as soon as a woman has a reason to say it. And she comes and says it that, that, that we've got to investigate this whole situation. And and in the case of uh, in churches, everybody knows everybody, and everybody's basically thinking these are all friends, and nobody really knows what's going on behind anybody's closed doors. So, my conclusion after going through so many working with so many domestic abuse people over the years since my daughter is to encourage people who are be, judging their own siblings sometimes when they're testifying what's happening behind closed doors at their house is to say, honestly, nobody really knows what's going on behind anybody's closed doors in their house. And if they're testifying to you that something evil is being done to them and they even tell you what that evil is, your first obligation is really to believe them. And that's for right. Reason, and for yeah. whatever reason, that's a, that seems like a no-brainer audience, but it actually is quite the opposite what happens. The, the typical response is to not believe. Right. Exactly. And the reason is, there's a lot of reasons, I think, why we, you know, our default position is to not believe it. Is First of all, we're naive about evil. And, and there's also, there's even a willfulness in this naivety. It's like, I don't want to go there. I I don't want to think about that. I just want to, who is it in Gone with the Wind, Scarlet O'Hara? I'll think about that tomorrow, you know, that kind of a thing. Well, um, uh, and so we don't want to think it's it's unpleasant. But as Christians, we have no excuse. The Bible educates us if we will believe what God's what God's word says so there's that reason there's also another reason and that is you know how you see the the statue of justice I don't know if that's the name of the statue not with the balances and she's blindfolded right the reason she's blindfolded is justice is supposed to be blind that means we don't show partiality when there's going to be true justice doesn't matter who you are that tells you real justice is rare these days, but, but um, 
as Michelle already mentioned, in our churches, largely everybody knows everybody. And so it's all the more important for elders and pastors to take heed when Paul tells Timothy, these things are to be done in the church without partiality, all right? Without partiality. Now, that's a hard thing to do. When you find out that a man who you thought was your friend and a Christian friend at that for 20 years, in fact, is not the person that you thought he was. He's somebody else. This thing is a, a facade, and this is the reality. And our again, our default position is, I, I don't want to believe that. If you have, you know, you watch on the news, people being interviewed about they were neighbors of a serial killer or they worked with a serial killer. That's the last person in the world I ever would. Well, the reason is because Satan is a liar. Whenever his mouth is open, he's lying, he's deceiving. And those that he's got in his grasp, they can be master deceivers. So that you, what does Paul say? If Satan can appear as an angel of light, it should be no surprise at all that his servants could appear as sons of righteousness. And so they can. Well, we've got to believe that. We have to believe God's word that this, that people are very capable of presenting themselves in a persona that is absolutely false. Right. And we have to acknowledge that. So those are just some of the reasons. I mean, it, it and it hits you. It's like if you're the pastor of a church, it can be. It's like this is really, this is like a big punch in the gut that this she's this lady is saying this evil is going on right here in our church, and the tendency can be to try to wiggle out of it somehow. I know yes. it's so true. I mean, so so what we've done here on the first half is introduce to you that there is evil among us. We don't need to have a blind eye to that. We do need to figure out ways to unmask that and discover what is among us. And when we come back on the other half, I will tell you about some uh, resources that he has and we'll go deeper into this topic. It's time and Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep is infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created REM sleep to help you quickly fall asleep, stay asleep, and sleep deep. Unlike other supplements that don't work, REM sleep is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients, supporting all four stages of sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code out loud. This is Jody O'Malley with Nurses Out Loud. Did you know our body is made up of trillions of cells and inside each cell, redox signaling molecules are produced? These molecules hold a sacred place in chemistry because as we age, the vital communication of our immune system to keep our bodies free from harmful bacteria, viruses, and toxins become less efficient. For the first time ever, 
ASEA brings you the power of these molecules in a convenient and potent form to provide your body with the essential support it needs to thrive. Ever since I toured their facility, I take two ounces in the morning and evening, and my vitality and energy has been restored at a time I needed it the most. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get your exclusive 15% discount by using the code OUTLOUD. The Natural Colon Cleanse. It's the ultimate digestive tune-up with Oxy Powder. It's crafted to alleviate the discomfort of gas, bloating, and occasional constipation. There's a reason why Oxy Powder is our number one seller. It worked. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD. Global healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. The Wellness Company's chief medical board designed every supplement and medical protocol with your health in mind. From groundbreaking supplements like the Spike Support Formula to unique care like Freedom from Big Pharma. Join a healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interest of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be, with a company that shares your values. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. AmericaOutloud.news is beaten to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, troubled, misled, joyful, and thankful. We know you because we are you. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. Welcome back to Nurses Out Loud with Nurse Michelle and Pastor Jeff Crippen, who is an author of four books that we're going to have in the America Out Loud show, uh, store. And the Unholy Charade, Wise as Serpent, and Light for Dark Times. But I want to make sure to leave on here, and we'll make sure to put in the show notes, his two blogs that you can go and get stuff from that are resources that are going to be very helpful for you. One of them is called unholycharade.com and the other one is lightfordarktimes.com. And he's publishing articles every week there. And then you can also purchase his books from his website or through America Out Loud. But what I wanted to start back with after the break is the recognition of evil. If you are getting reports of people that you know in your life, that somebody's coming and reporting something bad and dark is happening in their life, you're going to probably experience some form of cognitive dissonance if this is a person in your church that you otherwise think of as, hey, he comes to church every time and he's a good donator. And he's the reason why we have that addition on our church because he donated so much money. Just because a person is a church or tender or is raised in the church does not a believer or Christian make. And I want to start right back there with you, Dr. Uh, Pastor Crippen, because 
you are quite familiar with this about, you know, identifying the wolf in sheep's clothing and that the word of God does support um, separating from people that are not actually believers. Yes, absolutely. Um, And where you run into the real deception is going to be in your church, in your local church. You know, if you're like me, you've probably been raised up to think that, well, surely most everybody in my church is a Christian, you see. But if you examine this this subject biblically, you find out that um, uh, over and over again, the Bible tells us that, uh, you know what, that's not the case. In fact, um, you know, narrow is the way and few are they who find it. You find out that the church, the true church, God's true people, is is often called in the Bible a remnant. Um, the church consisted of eight people at most in Noah's day. Um, you have um, in Israel, when they came out of Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, that first generation, how many actually entered into the promised land? Maybe three maybe three out of the out of the whole thing uh, and so then the new testament warns us first corinthians 10 over and over make make sure look out those warnings were written for our admonition examine yourself be sure that you're not deceived so this whole idea of uh most everybody who says they're a christian is uh, i've changed that and when i write and so forth, i say most Christians aren't. Most Christians aren't. And I could go on and on about that. But at any rate, so we need to understand then that it is very, very common for entire local churches to be filled with people who are not born again. They they don't know. There, there's a lot of reasons why people go to church on Sunday. Not very many of those reasons are good, <laughs> right? There, there's a lot, a lot of false reasons why people would claim to be Christians, and particularly evil, abuser-type people. Um, and, you know, the, why does a pedophile go to church? Why does a domestic abuser go to church and pretend, well, they're wolves in sheep's clothing? Right. And they they know that in a lot of these churches, especially extremely conservative churches, there's a very high level of teaching about women being submissive to their husbands. Right. So if you want to get yourself a good prey, a good place to find one is in a place where they're making sure the woman knows she's supposed to be quiet. She's not supposed to be speaking out in church. She's supposed to be silent and she's supposed to obey her husband no matter what. And I actually had a pastor in a church I ended up leaving. Because he said, you have to obey no matter what he says, unless he's asking you to rob a bank. And I went up to him later and said, what's the chances anybody in this church is going to have a husband say, um, I, let's go rob a bank? I said, zero. So why would you say that? How about instead say something that what if your husband actually does X, Y, Z that he might actually be doing in in the home? That's a very evil, wicked thing so that somebody could say, oh, my gosh, my Christian pretending husband does all those things. He's he, he's a fraud. He's stealing money from his company or he's um, I caught him having sex with one of my kids and I don't know what to do about it. These people really do exist. It's really happening. 
And you mentioned a verse that um, was wonderful that I'd love you to share with the audience from Second Corinthians about how we are supposed to separate from evil. Yeah, it's in Second Corinthians chapter six, um, and and it certainly applies to you know how oftentimes uh, people will maybe will be taught well this applies in this relationship except marriage you know the 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 abuser when you're in a marriage you're bound that's it no getting out well. That's not that's not true. But of course, this relates to this whole widespread teaching that uh, and a misuse of that verse in Malachi too, where you know God hates divorce, God hates divorce, God hates divorce. Therefore, that means a Christian can never divorce. Well, maybe for adultery, but even then, you know, it's a last ditch thing and and so forth. But in fact, we are to separate from evil so for instance uh, paul says do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers and we tend to stop then at that point and say that's right a christian's not to marry a non-christian and then we just leave that that okay that's what we've dealt with that verse that's the only thing it's talking about there but this says don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers and i and i think being married to somebody is being yoked, right? And being together, you're. It's supposed the yoke is supposed to be a good thing. If you're, if going you're going the same direction, you're hoping you're going the same direction, right? Exactly, it's supposed to be a good thing. But when you're unequally yoked, and so he goes on, what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? The answer is none. What fellowship has light with darkness? None. What accord has Christ with Belial's Satan? None. What portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? None. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? We're the temple of God. I'm not going to make my dwelling among the wicked. Uh, and, and God says, I will make my dwelling among my people. I will be their God. They shall be my people. But as for us, go out from their midst. Be separate from them, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you will be sons and daughters to me. See, now this tells you, among other things, that we are to, we are not to be telling a Christian woman, for example, who's married to an ab abuser. Um, I should probably work in the definition of what I mean by abuse here in a minute. But, but uh, married to a wicked evil person and then we're going to tell her that she is required to stay with him what what paul is saying here in the last couple of verses in this section is that the lord saying then i will welcome you if you go out from them i will be a father to you you will be sons and daughters to me that doesn't mean that the lord's not the father of a of a christian woman but what it does Tell me, and I think this is accurate, is as long as you are unequally yoked in bondage to an, an abuser like this, a wicked person, that is going to have a big time interfering effect with your relationship with God. And, and you, you're, spiritually, you're going to suffer. So I think just this passage of Scripture in and of itself shows us that um, certainly um, um, we would should not be 
demanding uh, or even encouraging a, a, an abuse victim to stay yoked in, in, a, in a bondage situation with a wicked person. Yes. You mentioned in the first half how a person is not supposed to be uh, couples counseling should not be recommended in domestic abuse. I'm amazed how much that is a very primary recommended thing. And I want you to go to his blog to learn more about why he says what he does, because um, he also addresses on his um, unholy charade blog and teaches you about how to deal with what he calls raisin, R-A-S-N, revilers, abusers, sociopaths, and narcissists, because they are among your church. Some people that you care about are married to them. Some people are trying to get away from them. Some people are raising them, how to identify them. So um, would you like to go there and share with us about the the revilers, abusers, sociopaths, and narcissists? Like how how can we identify that we are, we're among them? Yeah, well, um, we first of all, I would say, if I can, if I can find it here again, um, the I, we need to define what we're talking about in regard to abuse, okay? Because um, what'll happen is a lot of Christians, pastors, you know, when they we begin to talk about this subject, they'll oft, oftentimes come back and hit us with, "But we're all sinners. We're all sinners." Well, it doesn't take, uh, well, first of all, if you're in Christ, you're not, your essence is no longer defined as being a sinner. You're a saint, you're a child of God and so forth. But, but um, the Bible makes it very clear that not all sinners are the same, all right? Woe to you, Chorazin and Bethsaida, it will be more tolerable for you in the day of judgment than for Sodom and Gomorrah, right? So there are there's sin and there's sin. When we're talking about abuse here, once again, we're not talking about somebody who I think Michelle said earlier, you know, uh, well, they're a difficult, my, my spouse is difficult because they're kind of sloppy or, or, you know, kind of stubborn. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about something that really, I, I think it classes as what psychologists would call a personality disorder. I mean, this is a, a measurable syndrome here. So what we I've defined it as is abuse, and I'm not the only one that defines it this way. Abuse is a mentality of entitlement. This is in the book uh, Unholy Charade. Abuse is a mentality of entitlement and superiority. All right, a mentality. That's how they're, they think. Entitlement and superiority that evidences itself in the various <clears throat> tactics the abuser uses to obtain and enforce unjustifiable power and control over another person. Keywords, power and control. Um, mentality of entitlement and superiority. The abuser thinks that he is absolutely justified in using these tactics to maintain power and control. Abuse is affected in many ways. And this is important. Abuse is affected in many ways, both physical, including sexual, and non-physical. Non-physical, by the way, is more common. Non-physical, verbal, and emotional. It can be active, physically or verbally, or it can be passive, not speaking, not acting. And so abuse is not limited to physical assault. 
Okay. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about abuse. All right. So yeah. uh, we be clear on clear on that. And then let's see, where was I going? What, what did you ask? Well, the main thing is, is that he's bringing out something that woke me up. Like when I was woken up to, I know what was done to my daughter was evil and wrong and that she should not be being persecuted by the church for choosing to pursue divorce. That all of a sudden the bad guy wasn't the bad guy anymore. He said he was sorry. And that's apparently enough. And then all of a sudden the whole, you know, you got to forgive. You're supposed to forgive 70 times seven. Like, you know, a wife just has to learn to forgive. I, what I would lear later learn to say, thank goodness for all the different teaching that came at me that was opening up the word of God like you do uh, to, to the presence of evil and that we are supposed to separate from evil is that hell was made and it will be populated and that the law like you used to be a part of um, it was made for the reprobate, the one that absolutely does had not have any regard for the laws of God, the laws of nature, the laws that you expect within a marriage like you expect. Of course, he's providing. Of course, he's emotionally supporting his family members. Of course, he's loving them, clothing them, feeding them, not neglecting them financially and that kind of thing. Those are the natural laws we expect to happen in a marriage, especially in a Christian marriage, right? In Christian churches. But what's happening, like he just listed with all the definitions of abuse. It can happen in so many different levels and people are literally looking to see, well, I don't see any bruises on her as if that's the only thing right. that's going to justify a divorce. Yeah. And in fact, what you find out and people that are really in the know, that are knowledgeable and wise about this evil, they, they will tell you, they're all in agreement, the non-physical abuse does actually more damage than physical you think about it the physical is more uh, obvious obvious and visible a woman could go to her pastor with a black eye okay for example but if she goes to her pastor and there, there's no physical marks or anything then it's just going to be what what her word for it and and it's so easy then to explain away yeah yeah so, so that happens frequently the the you know, I've often uh, said, and then also before I forget, that I think one of the best things that I've told abuse victims who are still in this fog of abuse, wondering what's going on, is I've told them two things. And I said, if you make your decisions as to what, how to proceed in this situation, based on these two things, you'll make good decisions. One, your abuser is not going to change, All right? Not gonna happen. Now, churches, Christians, pastors, they freak out at that, you know, it's like, oh, God can change anybody. No, he can't. He won't change the unrepentant. And these guys don't repent, they don't admit they're wrong. So number one, abusers don't change. And second, a marriage to an abuser doesn't need to be fixed. It needs to be ended. All right. Now, that's not to say that I'm, I'm not denying that ending an abusive marriage is easy. All right. And, and there was a children involved. I know. But but those two things. And I think that when when, a, when an abuse victim is able to face up and see the reality of those two points, it can be very freeing. And then you begin to make good decisions as to how to proceed. Anyway, I wanted to be sure and work that in.
Oh, what a major thing to say Um, the the need to say that um, forgiveness means sticking around is what you woke me up to years ago that everyone always basically taught that if you forgive somebody, they're still your friend or they're still your um, boyfriend or they're still your husband, but you can actually forgive somebody and uh, have a spiritual forgiveness for yourself, but not be in that person's life anymore. Would you want to address that? Yeah, well, for instance, Paul says in Romans, the Lord says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Well, if God says he's going to take vengeance upon the wicked when Christ comes in in judgment, then that tells me that, that God is not a God who says, well, let's let bygones be bygones, and here we'll be buddies again now. God doesn't do that, and we aren't to, we aren't to do that either. Um, forgiving someone does not mean always uh, re- reconciliation in, in relationship. First of all, with these wicked people, um, there was no real relationship there in the first place. We only thought there was. But, but it, it, it simply means... I am not going to seek vengeance, personal vengeance, on this person. That doesn't mean I don't report them to the police and those kinds of things. Um, But I'm not going to seek personal vengeance upon them. I will leave vengeance to God. And, And there, that's the form of forgiving my enemies. You might even say loving my enemies, as Jesus talks about. But it doesn't dismiss uh, as if as if nothing happened. You know, you know what's gonna. You know what happens when you are dealing with what I call raisins, right? These kind of people. Um, when you are nice to them, when you are going to, well, I, I I forgive you. I forgive you. You know what it does? It's gasoline on the fire. It empowers them. It, it's like, oh, I've got this person, this person, I can do anything and they're going to forgive me. And it just keeps that cycle of abuse. It just keeps going round and round and round again. So, right. because, uh, I mean, I don't know where the Lord stands on the people that are the narcissists and sociopaths of the world, but, but it looks like as far as the published secular work goes, these are some people doing some serious harm out there in the world. And some of them are doing some great works because they're so they tend to be very high intelligence. So it's not uncommon for you to see this in leadership, whether it be a pastor or whether it be a doctor or a um, person that's in a profession that has a significant leadership position. I found out that it was actually quite common among the profession that my son-in-law was at the time, which was a doctor. So um, that is a reality that people don't realize. And they're very good at schmoozing people and and convincing people and bringing them along and selling an idea and convincing you that they're not a bad guy. Right. And and in certain respects, then, that kind of a person, say they were your physician or your surgeon or something, they've got all this confidence and everything, and they might fix you up really well as far as the surgery goes. But you sure wouldn't want to be married to them. And furthermore, as as the Lord says, you know, the day when Christ comes and he examines all of our works, somebody could have could have done, say, a pastor, 
boy, he led his congregation and there was thousands of people and they put up these big buildings and all this money's coming in. But when the Lord comes, it all goes up in smoke. It, it, it's nothing. Why? Because it was done, because God looks at the heart. He looks at our motives. You know, do we, are we doing this because we love God and we love other people or am I doing it for myself? Well, the raisin is always doing it for themselves. That's it's like Nebuchadnezzar's image. Bow down and worship or into the fiery furnace you go, you see. I love it. Um, so as you can see, you can see this man became like a wise uh, paternal role for me during the time that I was seeking out help for my daughter because my conscience led me to know that the persecution my daughter was getting from the church for daring to leave an abusive person my conscience knew was wrong. And this man, by the time he came along into my life, because thank goodness he had blogs out there and I was able to find that. Thank goodness for Google. Google has all its issues, but thank goodness we can find people and social media, the same thing. And some of you that are listening out there in the audience could be among the people that are saying, yeah, I'm really, I'm one of those, I'm one of those victims, or I'm a past, I'm a divorcee that didn't get any love 10 years ago from the people I've been ostracized from the church because I'm a divorced person. I want you to know that no matter where you are in the world, listening to this, that you can actually be a part of his church because many people from around the world are, and you can just be part of his live stream. Um, he live streams off his Facebook account called Light for Dark Times. The services are all posted there. If you need healing and ministry, um, you can find it with Pastor Crippen. And he also um, does a live stream in real time. You can listen to him every Sunday at the time that he has church on sermonaudio.com slash C as in cat, R as in robot, as in C as in cat. And that stands for Christ Reformation Church. And um, he has also uh, the Sunday show and the three week, three times a week, midweek Bible studies also that you could be a part of. And you can do the uh, listen to the recordings on his Facebook, Light for Dark Times. But you could also go to YouTube and you will because you may have a time zone difference. And he's dealing with topically categorized series. He's got his Bible study there. If he's doing expository on a book of the Bible, you can just look up a, a subject and um, subscribe to his YouTube channel. So I want to make sure people know that. And because there's so much more to get from him than we were able to get today on just one show, we're going to have a part two with Pastor Crippen on domestic abuse in the church. So before we part for today, what would you say would be your words for people going forward as a person in the church, maybe aware or a victim? Well, the first thing to do is to admit and acknowledge that God's word tells us there is a devil and he has his servants and they always are at work to creep into the church to try to destroy not only sound doctrine, but also the application of it and, and the souls of human beings. And one of his chief ways that he's doing that is through these evil people that come into the church and, uh, and parade as yeah. Christian. Like the devil seeking whom they may devour. And you can go to his website to find out more information that's going to help set you free from either a relationship of bondage or a church that is actually keeping you in bondage and find a church that can help set you free 
and uh, open up the word of God to you in a way that shows you the truth because nurses out loud is about being in a war for truth. And long before 2020 hit, long before all this propaganda hit our culture that was all about the COVID outbreak and the vaccine and the propaganda around that, there were pastors out here that were very aware that we were in a war for truth. And they've been trying to expose the truth of the corruption within the churches of America and around the world for some time. And and he mentioned something that I'll just say quickly, that the larger your church is, the more likely that the, the message could be being watered down to a point to not offend. And there are there are messages in the word of God that are distinctly offensive to what he calls the raisins, the the revilers and the narcissists and the sociopaths and the um, abusers that are among your population, destroying people inside your churches. So become familiar with the teaching of this wise, godly man and get and help yourself, help your church either reform it or um, leave it and find a church that can help you. And while you're in the process of the journey, it took us a long time to find one. You can go to his church online and get yourself healed so that you can actually possibly make a difference in your community. So for today, I'll just say thank you for Pastor Crippen for being here with me. I appreciate you so much. Appreciate what you're doing. Thank you. I appreciate you too, Michelle. Greatly. Yes. And we will have you back again because we want to continue this message. So until next week, we'll talk to you more about these truths on Nurses Out Loud. So thankful for Pastor Jeff Crippen for all the help he's done to hundreds and thousands of women all around the world. And I'm so thankful that I was able to find him at a desperate time where I needed to find someone wise who was rightly dividing the word of truth on this topic and not coming at me with preconceived notions that were not based on knowledge. Remember how he did teach us about what the real definition of abuse is, that it is a mentality of entitlement and superiority that evidences itself in the tactics that abusers use to obtain and enforce unjustifiable power and control over another person. It can be physical, emotional, and sexual, and it can be passive and it can be active. So tune in next week. We're going to go deeper into this. If you have never heard this taught among your churches, please get this show note and get the show and share it with them because we can all make a difference in our community. So I encourage you all to tune in next week to hear part two of uh, domestic abuse within the church and within your communities and what you can do to help others in those situations. Nurses Out Loud is committed to exposing the truth and bringing down strongholds that are keeping us all in situations that could otherwise be harmful to us and generations to come. So join us next week. Until then. It's time.